Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show with your host, Ira Royal, using financial literacy to inspire, motivate, and empower people to set and achieve goals in all aspects of life. Join us every Thursday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Cat Builder Network. To be a guest or for more information, go to italkcredit.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Italk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. Another Thursday, another day to share information, to empower, to motivate, to inspire all the listeners to reach goals. This platform is all about you. It's about using credit literacy, but really focusing on behaviors, focus on things that you can do every single day, investments that you can make, um, different type of knowledge that you can acquire to further you along this thing we call life. So we have a great show today. We have a huge lineup. A couple of people, we have Mr. Mike Todd. Um, He's going to be our guest interview for today. He's from Premier Contractors, 25 years of commercial contracting and construction. He has a lot of information that he's going to share with us today. Mr. Kim Carpenter is back on the show. He's he's from Valley Credit Builders. He's going to give us some information about business credit. I'll call that course in Business Credit 101. We all know we need information with our in, in regards to our business of how we need to expand, how we need to have more, you know, inventory or more products, and he's going to go there for us today. We're going to have a funny money moment. Look, money is funny, right? Um, things happen in our daily lives that just kind of give us a chuckle or kind of make us look back and say, what in the world was I thinking? So we're going to explore that. Then we have Mr. Chris Frederick. He's going to come in with small business talk. Any information about business, he's on the forefront of it, and he shares it in a way that we can all digest it. We're going to wrap it up with death to the score, and then that'll be it today. Again, you're listening to I Talk Credit on the Cat Builder Network. After this brief break, we're going to come back, and Mr. Mike Todd, he's going to bless the stage, and he's going to give us some information. You listen to I Talk Credit. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the I Talk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. That was a little Jamie Fox. So we always like to set the mood, have a little bit of, of good music playing in the background, kind of get us amped up so we can tackle these issues, right? So I'm going to bring Mr. Mike Todd to the show right now. Hey, Mike, you there? Hi, Ira. How you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. I'm energized. I'm pumped up. I'm, I'm ready to get this wealth of information that you can share from us. I want to, you know, 
tell the listeners a little bit about you before we start. Um, you have over 25 years in the commercial and residential construction business. You're based out of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, what else? I mean, you have a lot of, not you know, you're doing a lot in the community. So you have a, a lot of different projects that you're working on, um, um, community revitalization, um, urban innovation, and you're also, you know, you're part of a lot of organizations that really just help um, the people in your community learn, right, in terms of business, in terms of um, opportunities to expand their knowledge base. So, you know, I'm glad that you could join the show today. I know we're going to learn a lot from you, and I'm interested to anything you want to share. Just let us know, and the floor is yours. All right, Ira. Well, uh, I appreciate you having me on tonight. I um, had, I believe you had my son on uh, recently, and uh, Nick Todd, and uh, he's with Northwest Mutual, and uh, we're really proud of him, and uh, he's in Atlanta. I believe he's based there where you are, and we are really proud of Nick, and he's done a lot of good things, and I think he shared some good information with you last week. Just to give you a little bit of background on myself, I, I grew up in a blue-collar background. I actually grew up in a small town that was around Memphis. Uh, when I went uh, to high school, I went into the inner city. I went to a high school in the inner city, and I've lived in uh, the midtown area of Memphis or, or downtown uh, for my entire adult life. Uh, I've got a wife and three wonderful kids. Uh, my oldest is Mick, and I've got a daughter, 26. She's here in Memphis. And then my youngest son is Logan Todd, and he's actually a professional drummer, and he's based out of Nashville. So I got started in um, the business, frankly, when I was 23 years old. I bought my first home. I'm a big believer in uh, getting something that you can build some equity in as early in your life as you can. I bought a home for $700. I spent a lot of time searching the MLS uh, listings and just looked for the literally the cheapest properties that were available. I tried to choose something that was uh, in an up-and-coming area, or this was actually on the perimeter of an up-and-coming area. It's in the Cooper Na Young neighborhood uh, in Memphis, which has actually recently been voted one of the top ten neighborhoods in the country now. Um, I got started there. I got a $30,000 construction loan, and um, we built out our home, and we only lived there for about three or four years, uh, About well, I'm sorry, about, about five years, and when my daughter was born, we moved out, and we still have that home, and it's actually been what you might call the world's best rental property. It's, it's only been vacant for um, three weeks and 26 years, so I actually paid that home off uh, I've paid it off three different times and I've used the equity out of that property to build some of my other um, build to build my commercial real estate portfolio wow that's I just yeah, that's I'm awesome. sorry I was giving you a pause I didn't know if you had any any questions or anything um, no that's I'm kind awesome. of a, you say you built her you purchased your first home for six thousand seven hundred dollars. Is that did I hear that correctly? Uh, seven seven thousand seven hundred dollars actually. Yeah, it was an uh, abandoned home. It had been abandoned for about ten years. Uh, there was literally about three feet of trash in the whole place. Uh, I think it probably um, had been a, a drug house for a while, and um, mm -hmm. we moved in and gutted the whole thing and and rebuilt it and it was actually right on the perimeter of an area that was was rising up and you know one of the things that that I think you can do I mean I basically came into you know my investment life with very little money I was a blue collar worker um, actually at the time when I bought that home I was uh, a commercial sales representative for Terminex a pest control company and um, we bought that home I'm a big believer in in short amortizations on loans. In other words, um, we we had a 15-year amortization on that originally, and and uh, that allows you to build equity a lot more quickly. Um, you know, some some people go the other route and say borrow it for as long as you can and keep your costs as low as possible. But 
Uh, my philosophy is is the other way around. I feel like that you build equity as quickly as you can, and that's actually what helped me in the recession is that we had a very low, low loan-to-value ratio, and we were able to refinance our, our properties, which um, which would not have happened if I'd have not, you know, went on a short amortization schedule. So I am a believer in that. Um, when we got uh, – and, and just a little background on Cooper Young, I actually became the president of Cooper Young in 1989, and I was the president of the neighborhood – uh, when a, we started a festival there, and that festival started in '89, and it has actually grown to the largest neighborhood festival in the country. Is over 150,000 people attended that last year, and I'm a big believer in being active in your community, uh, not only for philanthropical reasons, but also because. If you can build interest and build value within your community, you build value within the home or the property that you own in that area. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in giving back. I think it, it gives you a lot to your heart and to your soul, but it can also expand your checkbook. Um, so I did the uh, the Cooper Young thing um, and, and built that, started that along its road. I was initial... Um, founding board member in the Cooper Young Community Development Corporation, which that corporation uh, bought homes similar to mine and renovated them and then uh, provided uh, low-interest financing uh, to low- to moderate-income folks to, to be able to get into their first home. We worked with the THDA, which is the Tennessee Housing Development Authority, to uh, set up some financing for that, and we were able to get a lot of uh, – young people um, and underprivileged people into their first home and, and, and get the home, home ownership thing going, which I, um, I believe is the first step in, in starting to build your your value. Yeah, that's awesome. So I love that fact that you have that program going on and really educating, you know, people on the importance of home ownership and then actually putting in the work to get them in there. Um, tell me a little bit about what what's your passion or why did you um, choose to join, like, the construction business? Because you've been in it for 25 years. You, you just, you know, you have a knack for building things or you have a mind that you see floor plans. Like, how do you even – what made you get into that business in the first place? Well, I had experience uh, during high school. I worked for my uh, cousin's construction company. He has a hotel building firm, and I would actually go on the road some in the summers and – and work with him, and um, I actually the construction field paid better in the early 80s than it does now. It's actually beginning to come back because there's so few of us left that actually know what to do, but it is a very noble profession. I do like being able to provide something that's concrete uh, that that at the end of the day, you can look at it and say, I built this. I enjoy going around the city and, you know, being able to see various things that we built, various projects. And and uh, it gives me, you know, a reward when, uh, for instance, uh, you know, a family can enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning in their beautiful breakfast room or if people can enjoy one of the restaurants we've done or something, um, you know, and enjoy that out in the in the world. There's so many people now that – have a job that pushes paper from one side of the desk to the other. Now it's not even that. Now it's just, you know, out in the cyber world of one piece of data to the other, and your whole day is, is really when you turn your screen off, it's over somewhat. So I like having something concrete that I did, and um, I've always had a, a love for old buildings. I started out in historic restoration uh the area that we started in uh my first home was built in 1905 and um i went into the historic restoration um business first and adaptive reuse that's a lot of what we do now is uh, adaptively reusing uh commercial buildings you might have a building that's a warehouse and we would turn it into a retail space or a restaurant in combination uh, living space above, something like that. So that's really uh, my passion lies in repurposing old buildings. And when I went into commercial real estate, 
Um, one thing that I would recommend if if uh, you decide to go that route is if if you don't have a lot of money. Now, you know, there's a lot of rules in the commercial real estate business that I've probably broken every one. I mean, they say never be a pioneer. In other words, don't be the first one in. Never concentrate all your holdings in too small of an area, which, which I totally do that. Uh, but what I believe is that if you can identify an area that's geographically strong, if it's well positioned maybe two, through two major areas in the city, uh, um, my particular area is between the medical center and downtown, something like a medical center, uh, if it's an established medical center, it's going to be there for a long period of time. Those people are in the forever business. So you know that you're going to have some degree of solidity uh, if you're on an area that's, you know, in a perimeter area of, of downtown and perhaps it's on a major thoroughfare or something like that. All of my properties are concentrated uh, on two major east-west thoroughfares uh, between midtown and downtown. And so what I did is I went in uh, to a depressed area. Uh, one of the things uh, that you can do, again, if you, if you don't have a lot of money to start with, you need to find a motivated seller. Um, frankly, the area that I went in um, in 1968, we had the horrible um, incident of uh, Martin Luther King was killed in Memphis. And uh, after that, there were some uh, – garbage strikes and riots and some things like that and 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 that area suffered greatly from white flight a lot of the a lot of the white businesses that were in that area was a pretty healthy area but uh, those people moved out and they uh, moved out into the suburban areas and and some um, developers uh, or, or some some i guess real estate investors came in and bought a lot of that stuff at 10 cents on the dollar and they basically leased that uh, property for very low rents. They didn't maintain the property and basically waited for somebody to come around who was young and excited and wanted to do something and do good and get started. And, and so I was able to buy my first property. Uh, actually, the entire roof was caved in on it. Um, so I used my construction knowledge uh, to be able to identify uh, value in a property that would would not work for most people. So one thing I would say is that if you can identify a strength that you have and you can leverage that strength into a private investment, whether it be a you know a, a side work, side level of investing that you're trying to do, then you use your unique qualities to try to uh, you know maximize the value that you can provide to something. But um, we bought that property. Um, I actually had the owner finance that for me, and um, that was the beginning of, of, you know, my commercial real estate uh, portfolio, and that was in 94 I bought my first building. Question for you. So I know a couple of people that, you know, they're interested in buying um, strip malls and then leasing those strip malls out to retailers um, is that something that for, I've heard a couple of people say, you know, that's good because you're going to get that rent money in from multiple people. But then I had another person tell me that there's not really a lot of cash flow in that because basically depending on, you know, your, your lease or your mortgage on that commercial real estate, you're only, you'll be breaking even and you'll be good to break even. And it depends on the people that the tenants that you have, is it seasonal, you know, what type of shops are in there. Would you tell people now, hey, what is the best type of commercial real estate to invest in? Um, is it building something ground up? Is it buying in a current, like, um, strip mall? Or what would you suggest people should do? Well, I concentrate on older buildings um, that may have uh, – had a user in it that was what we call an end user, which is an end user is someone who owns a building and they are the person who uses the building. In a lot of situations, you'll have an old family business or something and they will be in an area and they may close down 
and say perhaps like for instance in my situation my my heirs have moved away and they're in other cities so they may not have someone to pass the business down to they're retiring and so that piece of real estate which was very valuable to them during their working life and for their business all of a sudden it becomes a hindrance and it becomes something that they have to maintain and windows can get broken and, and, and roofs can leak and various things can happen. And so they would want to, um, you know, get rid of the building because it becomes a, a negative to them. If you can identify those properties, you can generally get those for a very good price. You can also, when people are retiring, uh, I've, I've had a lot of luck with uh, doing owner financing. So you, you, you have an owner, um, if you, can raise a down payment that's, you know, reasonable, then they may want the income of having that uh, note come in every month. And then if something does happen and you as the buyer fails, then they get the building back. Uh, It's also, you know, a way to um, leverage more properties if you do owner financing, because that stuff's basically off the book. So, if you do go to a bank, they, they don't look at that and see that as, as something that's potentially a negative on your balance sheet. The first three properties I bought, I actually bought uh, owner financing. And, you know, you got a lot of people on TV that, that, that hawk these different um, programs to make money. And, 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 you know, sometimes they work flipping houses, things like that, but it's not as easy as they show it. And, um, you know, we put in a lot of hard work, and and what we did is once we went into the neighborhood, then I went about trying to turn the neighborhood around and trying to uh, accentuate the positives of the neighborhood and try to build interest in the neighborhood, and we were able to do it. Now, as far as logistically, uh, strip malls versus, um, you know, large warehouse spaces, I prefer a larger footprint, in other words, a bigger area on the ground um, that maybe generally what we would do is go in and and we would come into a large area that might be a warehouse type area uh, or used for a, uh, you know, business, it's a distributor or something like that. And then we would actually come in and cut it up into multiple spaces. We just converted a 17,000-square-foot building in the Edge District in Memphis, which that's where I'm concentrated now and where I have been concentrated for the past uh, 20 years. But that is um, – I actually coined the fra- the name, the phrase. It's uh, the edge of downtown. And we, it's the heart of Memphis, the edge of downtown. We're actually between downtown Memphis and the medical center. And um, so what we've done is gone in and made – taken large buildings like for instance we're in the process now of of finishing up a conversion of a 17,000 square foot building and we've actually got one 10,000 square foot space and it's a dog daycare in that space and then I've got a 3,500 square foot space it's a barbecue restaurant and then we have a a third space in there that's actually a live work space um, that's a about a 3,000 foot space that a videographer in town, um, he lives there, and he actually shoots uh, some commercials there and things inside. So I like a larger footprint because I think it, it gives you more flexibility. I like, um, you know, commercial buildings where you could possibly have a residential space above or a live-work type space. I've been very fortunate in, in renting to artists, artists um, uh, which which we had kind of a an art-type district in that area. It was more of a producer district as opposed to a gallery district where the artists actually produce the art. I've had artists living in my spaces for over 10 years that are still there with me. Oh, wow. Wow. Question for you. So, you know, flipping houses, and we're talking about, I'm talking about residential restoration, right? Flipping houses is the new buzzword. And you hear that on TV. You hear a lot of investors saying, you know, that's what you need to do to really gain wealth. What do you think about that? And then you also hear people say, well, it inflates the, the market, and it, it, it's what caused the real estate bubble. Um, what is your take on investing in residential homes, building them up, and then using that as some type of investment for a, you know, a, a sizable ROI, a return on investment? What do you think about that? Like, How would a person enter into that type of 
industry and really be successful? Well, I've seen a lot of people make money doing it. Um, I think that the key to that is, is I think you need to be in a very hot area. Uh, I think that you need to do, if you can do superficial type renovations, um, swap out the kitchen, new kitchens, new countertops, et cetera, not have to change the floor plan too much. The problem that I have with it is, frankly, I'm too much of what some people call a house hugger in that, um, you know, I really love old homes and, and I kind of overbuild them. Um, I want to always redo all the electrical and the heat and air systems and the plumbing and all of that. And, and really you make your most money when you just sort of do a slapdash superficial, superficial rehabilitation. And I'm just sort of intrinsically don't like that, but that's how you make your money. I mean, I've made some money doing that. Um, I've houses with very small footprints. And then uh, when the area has started to turn and most of the houses are larger, you can buy the smallest house on the block, put a nice addition on it. Uh, you know, everybody wants a nice master suite. Now you do a master suite in a kitchen and, and uh, fix it up and, and you can make some money doing that. But the really the most money is made doing that, in my opinion, on not doing a very good job, something that looks good, but, but may not necessarily the bones and the guts of it may be ignored somewhat. So it's not my favorite thing to do, but it's, it's more of a, of an ethical thing with me really. Got it. Makes sense. Well, Mr. Todd, I know you have another meeting to go to. Um, so first and foremost, I want to thank you for just joining the show today. You know, I really appreciate it. You gave us a lot of good information. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about commercial real estate and residential real estate and restoration. And um, I would love to have you back on the show to kind of take questions from the listeners Maybe they have projects that they're working on and they're not getting the right – they don't even know if they're getting the right information, so they want a, a second opinion. I would love to have you back on because I know there are people out there that they have passion about real estate, but they don't know where to start, right? They have no idea, you know, is it a book I need to read? Is it a type of class? Do I need to take a certification? They just need some guidance. And I think since you've been in this industry for 25-plus years, you went ups, downs. Like you said yourself, you made all the mistakes that anybody can make. I think a lot of people could really use you as a, um, a channel to, to gain information and to really start their path. So first of all, thank you so much for joining the show. All right, Ira. Well, I'd be glad to come back, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you got a great show, and you're doing something that's very good for your fellow man by teaching them how to take care of their money. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful meeting, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you, Ira. Have a good night. That was Mr. Mike Todd. Um, again, he has a lot of information, and I'm going to have him back on so he can take some calls from the the public and and any type of anybody that has any information, they can. I mean, well, any questions they can talk to him. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to have Mr. Kim Carpenter with Business Credit 101. You're listening to I Talk Credit, Cat Better Network. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Welcome back to I Talk Credit. This is Ira Royal. Again, we just had Mr. Mike Todd on. He gave us a lot of information about commercial real estate and residential credit restoration or real estate restoration. So now we're going to bring Mr. Kim Carpenter with Valley Credit Builders. Hey, Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ira. How's everything going? Ah, everything's going good. How are you doing? You know, it's, it's, uh, we're just batting down for a little cold weather up here in Boston, but uh, it's standard for this time of year, so no big problem. Yeah, you know, this weather here in Atlanta, one day is 76 degrees, the next day is 60, pneumonia weather. But, hey, what do you, what yeah, do you want to do? Bundle up, right? Yeah, Bundle yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. What do you have for us today, Mr. Kim? Well, I think it's it's just like you said, uh, business credit one hundred and one. Trying to trying to let small business owners know what uh, they can do with business credit that isn't tied to the social security number. A lot of small business owners, Ira, today really don't understand uh, that they can build a separate business credit profile that is built on their business's EIN, employer identification number, uh, that's completely separate from their personal social security number, right? Now, this is, this is huge, and, and the people that it really resonates with and understands this are the ones that went through 08, 09, and 10, right, with the downturn. Um, they find themselves right now in, in a, a pretty tough situation where they fought through the tough times and their business is at a point right now where, you know, it wants to expand, they want to bring more money in, they want to get more uh, more credit. Um, but because their personal credit was tied to their business and they used their personal credit cards and their personal signatures and guarantee, you know, their personal credit got dinged. So today they're going to the traditional lending sources and they're trying to get money, but for small business owners, credit's really a mixture of both the personal credit and the business credit. So if you hurt your personal credit, even though your business credit has rebounded, the business personal credit takes a long time to fix. All right, so what we plan, now I've been in credit repair for seven years, a lot of the people that have come in are small business owners. So what we do is we work with them to help them put a line of demarcation between their personal credit and their business credit. What I want to offer to your listeners, okay, is that I have a free ebook on building business credit. Now, we're not going to have time tonight to go through the entire process, uh, but I do have a book. Um, that they can download for free, all right? The URL is www.thebusinesscreditebook.com. It's pretty simple. You can go onto that URL and you can download a book that will actually walk you through the process of building business credit that's separate from your own personal credit, all right? So, if they want to do that, it's it's free. Go out and get it. If they want a paperback version, there's another URL they can go to. That's called the businesscreditbook.com. They can get it that way. A lot of people download the ebook and just take it from there. So I'll give them a step-by-step approach as far as how to do it. Now, what I want to go is I want to do a little bit as far as what are the benefits of business credit. Okay, number one, like I've already said, okay, it's built on the employer identification number, the EIN. So it really has nothing to do with the business with the business owner's personal credit. So seeing it's not based on, on the business owner's credit, it protects the owner's credit in case of an economic downturn, like in 08, 09, and 10. So a lot of these people who suffered through the recession if they had the line of demarcation put between their business credit and their personal credit, they would have survived better through that downturn because they would have come out with a good, clean personal credit history. All right, so it, it, it protects the owner's credit report during that economic downpour, downturn. And also, in today's economy, no matter what the owner's tainted credit looks like, if for some reason an owner has really bad personal credit, they can still build massive amounts of business credit on the EIN because their personal credit's not coming into the picture, right? So that means that they can, I mean, we have clients that are building hundred dollars to $150,000 worth of usable business credit that isn't tied to their Social Security number. So that's huge when it comes to a cash flow situation or something's coming up and they need to do it. Most small business owners use their personal credit card. So they're yes. personally oh. financing. Excuse me? I say, yeah, a lot of them do that because, for one thing, they don't 
or I assume they, they might not know any better or nobody has really educated them on the importance of gaining business credit. Exactly, and, and they fall for that old adage that, you know, um, if you don't have faith in your business, who should, right? So exactly. they think that they need, yeah, they think that they need to guarantee everything. Well, they don't have to, all right? So I want to use a couple examples to show you how the process is is more of a benefit. All right, if the small business owner is using his personal credit cards, all right, to finance his business, it reduces their personal credit score. All right, so they're, they're financed, and instead of having a good 740, 760 credit score, because their debt-to-availability ratio on their credit cards is so high, it affects their FICO score and pulls it down. You know all that. So That's right. What happens, yeah, so what happens is that now they have, let's say, $30,000 in credit card debt. Their, their business is doing well. They go to the bank to get some money, a traditional financing to get money, and they look at their credit score, and it's a 640. Well, they don't qualify for anything. So they find themselves in a catch-22 situation where they're trying to uh, pay down that personal credit, but they needed the cash flow to run the business. So what we do in that situation or what small businesses can do, small business owners can do, is that they can start building business credit on the business, on the EIN, and they can start getting tens of thousands of dollars of credit card availability in the business name that they can now substitute those cards for their personal credit cards, right? Pay their personal credit cards, and all of a sudden they're back over to 740. So now when they present themselves to the, to, to the traditional financing sources, they can get money to help the business grow. All right, so that's, that's, that's why business credit is so important to small business owners, and a lot of them don't understand that. Hey, Kim, do you think that this information is used by – I mean, is this information that is just nothing new and just certain people don't take um, – they don't take advantage of it, or certain people just don't know about this because – from what I've been taught, it's you always use your personal for personal, your business for your business. And even in banking, we would tell people, and I feel bad for saying this, hey, use your personal until you get business credit. But then a lot of times the, right. the, the client, well, I don't even know how to get business credit. Like, what is business credit? Um, so exactly. I wonder if this information is out there and people just don't take advantage of it or is it something new? Like, yeah, people. Know I don't see a lot of people doing this. No, it's not new. It's just that a lot of the traditional so, – see, I go way back, so I've had businesses for a long time. Um, in, the, in the olden days, right, you used to be able to walk into your bank and get money, okay? There wasn't, there wasn't as many restrictions as they are. They were all neighborhood banks, so it was easy to do, to do business with people. And not only that, but the vendors would always come up with, with lines of credit for you. So I had a copy center. I had vendors that – that gave me the paper, you know, on terms, 30, 60, 90 day terms, didn't have to worry about paying the bill, wasn't personally guaranteed on it. It was just in the business's name. I had leases for uh, the equipment that weren't in my personal name that, you know, this is what, this is back in the seventies. Um, so back then it was a lot more free flowing than it is today. Today, even though, like, there's probably some contractors listening to this call or small business, small contracting companies, plumbers, electricians, if you go into Home Depot and you apply for credit, for business credit, they're going to have a little line down there that, for your Social Security number. Well, you know, if you leave that Social Security number off, chances are they're going to approve you on the corporation as long as you've built a real nice business credit profile with the major business credit agencies, right? So they'll be able, you're not going to be personally guaranteed on that, and they may give you $5,000 line of credit at Home Depot. But if you're willing to give them the Social Security number, who are they to say, no, you don't have to give it to us? Hmm, that makes sense. You know, 
I used to always tell people to go to places like Lowe's or Staples or somewhere that has stationery or those type of um, type of equipment to build business credit, but I always thought you had to give them your personal Social Security number. So you're saying you don't have to to get business credit. You don't credit. have to, and, and, and that's why wow. uh, the free ebook will really go through the whole thing because you start off with smaller credit accounts, um, and then you have those reporting to the business credit agencies, and then it's like a snowball effect where you keep on getting larger and larger accounts. And before you know it, you know, like I said, you have $100,000 worth of credit availability for all these different either net 30-day terms or business credit cards or whatever gas credit cards that are in the business name or your personal guarantee. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Another issue that I helped one of my accounts with earlier is that they were co-signing for all the vehicles in their in their business and he had six vehicles in the business well each vehicle lease was around five hundred dollars so those ended up reporting on his personal credit by reporting on his personal credit when he went to buy a house there was three thousand dollar additional expense even though the company was paying it was still reporting on his personal credit and he didn't satisfy the debt-to-income ratio that he needed to buy the house that he could afford. Yikes. Yeah, when he said he was co-signing for his business cards, I immediately cringed. Um, cause yeah. That's all, like you said, that's all well, on his personal credit report, and that's going to hurt his DTI right. or debt-to-availability. Right. Yeah. right. Question for you. Can, do, do people right. use business credit to purchase personal homes? Uh, well, no, they'd have to come under commercial. You know, anything, anything, you can't buy a personal home, and, and that, that's a, a regular residential mortgage. A commercial mortgage is what you'd need, so it'd have to be a commercial building of three to three or more apartments or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, okay, like a duplex or something like that. Unless it was in a, yeah, unless it was an investment property that you were doing. You know, you could get commercial property that way, but, uh, you know, then again, you'd have to build a real nice business credit profile with Dun & Bradstreet, Experian, and Equifax on the business end yeah. in order to make sure that, you know, you're given a good picture as far as what your company really is. How long does it usually take to build that type of profile? Six months. Wow. See, building business and do you have to show like your company financials and cash flow and stuff like that? No, not really. What? No, not really. What you need to do is you just need to make sure, make sure that when you paint the picture on the business credit agencies, all right, that you show them the real picture, all right, so that you go in and you start off with a small. Let's say you get a small line of credit from Uline. They're not going to give you a lot of money. You know, they're going to give you maybe a two, $300 line of credit, right? So it's net 10 days, 300 But they're reporting to the business credit agencies. Hmm. Am I in? Okay. Am I in? Sense. Am I out? What happened? Yeah, I hear you. Everything else? Okay, good, good. So, and so you step, you step through a system like that. And by stepping through that system, before you know it, lo and behold, you, you apply for gas credit cards, you're getting $5,000 gas credit card line, you know, gas credit cards, and you're getting 10000 offered to you. And then the same thing that happens on the personal credit where, you know, if you have good credit, everybody in the world's coming out of the woods and offering you credit cards. Well, the credit card companies look at your business credit profile when they run reports to try to figure out who they want to offer their business credit cards to. So if you have, you know, two or three cards on there with $5,000, dollars $15,000 worth of credit, they're going to offer you a larger amount of money. So it's almost like a once you build a good credit profile, it's almost like a competitive nature of the credit card companies to try to get more of your business. Um, so it works really well. It's just like People personal. are dedicated. Yeah. So, so, but on the personal side, you know, the letter comes in and they say, you have been approved to apply, right? On the business side, when you get a letter in the mail, it says you have been approved for a business credit card of $10,000. So all you need to do is sign and send it back, you know, sign for the corporation, don't sign personally, send it back and you end up getting the credit card. So 
so there's know, no application process. No, business credit is much because they've already seen. See, if you paint a nice picture on the business credit agencies, they've already seen your financials. They've already seen your, 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 how you handle your finances, what kind of credit you have out there. So you're already passing the test for them. You see what I'm saying? Wow. Now anybody can anybody can pull a business yeah, anybody can both pull a business credit report. I can pull one on any company in the world and I don't need a, a reason to do it. All right. Yet on the personal side you need to have a financing reason. Permissible purpose. A, yeah. a permissible purpose, right, to do it, right? Whereas on right. the business credit side, anybody can pull a business credit report. So that's even more important why you want small business owners want to make sure that their credit profile, which is more or less built by itself, is correct. You know, I have people that are in our program and they pull a business credit report and all of a sudden they have 10 liens are defunct and they were never there or they've been paid off or, you know what I mean, or they have UCCs filed that are all dead, the, the loans are paid off, but the UCCs are still standing there. So they need to, they, small business owners really need to pay attention to their business credit report too, to make sure that everything on there is reporting correctly because that's what the uh, vendors can pull credit reports, your customers can pull credit report. So let's say that, a cut, that you're going for a bid and you have a large municipal, municipality and they end up pulling a credit report on you, and they see three three liens that haven't been reported fulfilled as open. You're not going to be. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that deal. Yeah, that makes sense. And if it's anything like personal credit, almost twenty percent of information on that credit file is inaccurate. I would be yeah. um, surprised, or I would love to see the statistics around how much you know inaccuracies on business credit files. Well, well, see, let, let me put it this way. There are no rules on the business credit side, okay? It's it's mm-hmm. still in the age of the wild, wild west. That's what I say. On personal credit, we know how tight it's getting and how, and how uh, diligent the credit bureaus have been to clean, up, to clean up the information. And, you know, they have the CFPB breeding down their neck. They have the SEC breeding down their neck. So they have a they have watchdogs all over the place watching the information. Business credit agencies, there's none of that. All right, they're out they're out there doing whatever whatever comes in, they put on a report. They don't verify it, they don't justify it, they don't do anything. So it's up to the individual business owner to make sure that they pull a business credit report and keep an eye on. It. That sounds like an opportunity and a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really good. It there's is. a lot you can do, especially if you're educated. But it also sounds like if yeah. you <laughs> If you kind of take it for granted, it can really mess you up. Yeah, but as as like easy anything. it was, as yeah, as easy as it was for the incorrect information to be put on your business credit report, it's that much easier to remove and correct that information on business credit reports. A lot easier than it is with with the uh, consumer credit reports. All right, because okay, that's business good. credit agencies, yeah, business yeah. credit agencies more or less take your take your word on. You know that lien's paid off. Here's the pay. They they just do it. You know what I mean? They don't they don't ask a lot of questions. They want to make sure that the information that you give them is the information that's on your credit profile. I sure wish the consumer agencies would do that with student loans. Shoot. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm gonna take that out right now. <laughs> we can talk about student loans. We can talk about student loans till we're blue in the face, and then that's not gonna happen. Exactly. It's it's exactly. Uh, it's it's. You know, I deal with that all the time. You know that I also do credit repair, and that's that's something that's just uh, just tough, just really tough. Exactly. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining the show. As always, nope. You know, uh, like I say, I, I love when you join because you give us nope. a lot of information. Yeah, put me in coach and go from there. I just want to put one more shout out on that free ebook if I can. It's just called thecreditebook.com. The business creditebook.com um, they can download it for free and uh, small business owners can build building business credit for themselves awesome awesome thank you Kim that was Kim Carpenter All right, thanks, Valley Credit Builders no problem thank you give them a shout out you, I mean, you know 
He has a lot of information, and he can really help your business. So talk to him. Look him up. He gave you his um, contact information. Let him help you out. Let him educate you to make that next step in your business. So we're going to take a really quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to bring Mr. Chris Frederick to the show talk about small business talk. You're listening to iTalk Credit, Cap Builders Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. This is Ira Royal. I talk credit on the Cat Builder Network. Uh, we're going to bring to the stage, to the show, Mr. Chris Frederick. Chris, how you doing? Hey, Chris. How you doing? Yeah. Man, I'm good. I'm good. I cannot complain. Um, you know, just trying to make it out here. How about you? I hear you. Same thing, man. Doing all right, baby. Doing all right. Well, I know we on uh, have a bunch of time here, so I was just going to kind of jump into it. I know last time I was on the show, um, we started talking about cash flow and said maybe we could expand on that next time um, I was on the show. So I guess we'll do that this evening. Um, to, to So for layman terms, I know a lot of times if you're a small business owner, you hear a lot of financial institutions always advertising things to help improve cash flow, um, whether it's a loan product, sometimes product. Um, a lot of times it's an online product, and they're always advertising that helps to improve cash flow. So, I, And myself, I get a lot of business owners asking me what exactly do they mean by cash flow. So in lame terms, cash flow is pretty much – any money or cash that's going out of the company and any money or cash that's coming into the company. So a lot of those products um, that financial institutions are advertising are ways um, to make it easier for business owners to track their cash coming in and out. Uh, For instance, it may be an online tool that makes it easier to pay your vendors um, without maybe necessarily having to cut a check and then mail to the vendor or easier for your customers to pay you. And so your customers may be writing a check, and then you got to wait, you know, a couple of days to get go through the mail and get to you. Uh, that may set up a way where your customers can pay you, and it goes directly into your account online. Because um, when a bank is looking at cash flow, they're kind of they're looking at, you know, obviously the main thing is making sure that you have more cash flow coming in than you do uh coming out. So I think earlier uh, this evening, I think uh, the gentleman you were speaking to named was Mike, and you asked him about, um, you've heard that a lot of people say commercial real estate um, 
that it, it can get tough because sometimes the rent you get in isn't as much or it's just enough to cover that commercial mortgage so your cash flow isn't good. You actually, you actually said that. Sometimes I said the cash flow isn't good, meaning that, you know, the rent you get in from that tenant is just enough to cover the mortgage and you don't really have um, a lot of money after that. So, you know, necessarily cash flow isn't good. They have good cash flow. Um, your rent is so much you can pay your mortgage and you still got a little left mm-hmm. over to put to put aside, um, especially when you're doing commercial ro- a mortgage for things that something happens to the um, property and enough to pay yourself as well, and we would call that uh, distribution. Yeah, you know, I would hear a lot of people say, hey, we're breaking even, and that's great. And I always thought to myself, well, I mean, I understand it's good to break even. So you don't want to be in a point where you don't have enough cash flow, you know, coming in or going out to cover your expenses. But if you're just breaking even and you're not really getting a return on investment, why would you keep that type of um, investment, like why would you keep that property if you're not getting any money over and beyond your expenses? Right. Well, well, uh, commercial real estate is kind of different. Um, some people may do that because even though, so let's say they're getting rent and their mortgage, they're just breaking even. The thing about them is they understand is that even they're paying that mortgage and they're getting equity in that building. And whether it's a commercial real estate or if it's residential real estate, they still own that building. So every month they pay, they're still getting equity into it, and that and that and they're paying the mortgage without money coming out of their pocket. So you know, a lot of people may have like maybe a small commercial building, but they still have their job. So they're still, you know, they're still getting their normal income from their jobs coming in, paying their bills. They still got that income to play with, but they have this another piece of real estate where the tenant is paying the mortgage for them, and the tenant is helping to build that equity. So commercial real estate is a little different. Why, you know, if you're breaking even, a lot of um, real estate owners, if they're breaking even, they're okay with that because they're building equity um, anyway, and without having the income having to come out of their pocket. Uh, they say so, but obviously, when you're doing an operating company, you're right. You do want to do more than break even. Um, for instance, if you have a restaurant, you know you want to do better than break even. You want to make a profit, uh, so you can pay yourself. Cause, you know, so, and that's that's why we all, you know, one reason that uh, we all have our own business is to make money and and, and uh, be able to supply us and our families with a good life. So that's right. Do banks care? In your opinion, like if if you have if you have investments where you're just breaking even, do the banks care about that? If they see that, they say, well, you you can't really look at this as a revenue generating opportunity because you're only breaking even. Or they, will they say, hey, this is consistent cash flow month after month after month, even though you're not maybe you know taking advantage of a lot of profits? Do the banks even care about that? Well, yeah, the banks want to to see you break a little better than one to one or break even. We want to know that you have a little cushion. Uh, just in case for contingency, if something was to happen, if you were to happen a one-time expense, uh, that you can take care of that and you're still able to pay your expenses and obviously pay the bank note as well. So the bank wants to see you do a little better than break even, uh, absolutely. And, and and a private investor would be the same way if, you, if it's a smart one. They want to make sure that you have a little room for contingency. Ah, perfect. Hey, sounds good. Yeah. You know, this whole thing, I always wonder why all this information is not shared with people at a younger age. And I just think that if I would have known, you know, 30% of information like this about commercial real estate, cash flow, residential real estate, things to invest in, and really use that as a foundation when I was in, like, middle school or something, I would make a lot better decisions today or I would have made a lot better decisions in the past. Um, so that's one thing that you know, I'm going to speak to about in my Death to the Score um, segment of the show, which is educating the youth on information like this. They're not too young to be exposed to it, and I think they need to hear it, start training their minds to think beyond, you know, that, you know, what they're getting in school, that there's another world out here, that people take advantage of these opportunities and make tons of money and, and really provide for their family on a generational level. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. The, another big thing with cash flow is the timing of it. Uh, banks like to see exactly when your that money's coming in and when that money's coming out. They want to make sure by the time it's time for you to pay a vendor or pay a bill, that money's already came in. And if not, um, you know, sometimes that's when a line of credit is needed. That's the that's kind of like a working capital line of credit. Um 
is to, to take care of those short-term debts. So maybe like Mike, when he's building a construction company, he may know his his client isn't paying him until a certain amount of time, but he has to go ahead and front the money to buy supplies, to buy wood and nails to start building. You know, he may not get paid to a month later, but he has to go ahead and front the money. So it's all about that timing of cash flow and making sure uh, cash flow coming in is more than the cash flow you have to go out. Awesome, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much, man, for joining the show today. I really appreciate it, and you always, again, break it down to us so plainly so we can digest it and use that information for our benefit. So I appreciate it, man. No doubt, no doubt, man. I uh, can't wait to talk to you guys next time, and you can always email me for questions at uh, chriscreditsolutions at gmail.com. Got it, got it. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. All right, All right buddy. Have a good one, man. You too. That was Mr. Chris Frederick, Chris Credit Solutions. Email him. Again, everybody that comes on the show, they're on here because they care about the information that they're providing to you and how you can use it to benefit your life. So use those people. Um, use them as an asset to your business, your personal life. Get the information that they're sharing and make sure that you know you either not make some of the same mistakes or you build upon what you're already doing. So we're going to take a really short break. When we come back, we're going to do death to the score. and We're going to wrap it up. You're listening to I Talk Credit and Cat Builder Network. Welcome back to the show. I talk credit on the Cat Builder Network. This is your host, Ira Royal. Played that song for my little honey dip back home. You know, you got to make sure you take care of them. So she's the most beautiful girl in the world. So right now we're going to get into the death to the credit score segment. And today what I want to talk about is education, educating our youth. And when I say youth, I mean like our kids. So I put a challenge out there to every month. I say month, do something realistic, but let's introduce our kids to a concept that we know they're not hearing at school. Um, We know they're going to hear about, you know, they're probably going to hear a little bit about budgeting or savings, and it's going to be surface level. Let's introduce them to credit. Let's introduce them to stocks and bonds. Let's introduce them to real estate um, and commercial real estate restoration. Start planting seeds in their mind, getting their juices flowing, getting them asking questions, reading articles, looking at clips from um, documentaries on things that you can do to further yourself financially. Um, let's, at a young age, I'm talking about middle school, even before middle school, get their juices flowing, get them asking questions, get them engaged. It won't only help them, it'll help you too. 
Um, so let's teach our kids how to be self-dependent, how to self-educate, not just rely on teachers who are doing an amazing job. My wife is a teacher. But let's not just rely on them to teach our kids. Let's take some responsibility in our home and introduce them to things that we know they're going to hear and that are going to affect them outside of that classroom. So death to the score is all about getting out of mentality that it's all about those three numbers and really more about the behaviors, the mentality, and what you're doing to better yourself, right? We're not saying that you don't need to worry about credit, but it's other things in the mix than that three digits four. So, again, I appreciate you listening every week. Thank you for supporting the show. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. Um, A lot of people are being helped out. And we're going to keep this movement going. We're actually going to do more. We're going to start a YouTube channel. We're going to go interview people off the street and just hear some of the things they have to say about, you know, their credit lifestyle. Not only that, um, we're going to actually start a, a, a platform where people can call in. So maybe on like the third of the month, we're going to open it up and have people call in and tell us about their stories, tell us about what they're going through and ask questions. I'm also going to have a form where you can email us questions so we can answer you directly. So... You know, again, this show is all about you. It's about you being informed, motivated, and educated. And we're going to open those lines up and hear directly from the, the listeners. You're listening to I Talk Credit, Cat Builder Network. You have a wonderful day. God bless. We'll see you next Thursday, 7 p.m., right here. <laughs>